Euzu billahi mineşşeytanirracim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <coughs> Elhamdülillahi rabbil alamin ve salatu vesselamu ala seyyidina Muhammedin ve alihi tayyibin at-tahirin. Allahumme salli ala Muhammedin ve ali Muhammed. Assalamu alaykum ve rahmetullahi everybody. And uh, welcome to I think session 34 of Shia Imamiyah doctrine. Um, we might run into some uh, technical difficulties as we do this, but um, if you can just be patient with us, just have some issues trying to figure that out. I might not have video, but if I, if you have my audio, that's all that matters, right? All right. So, um, do we do we have video or not? Okay. All right. So, uh, we last week we started a new chapter in this book, <coughs> and that was the chapter of uh, life after death and uh, the hereafter. So um, we covered about three or four articles, I think, and I'm just going to go over those very quickly. It wasn't too hard. Article number 103 spoke about um, how, all pro how all religions and all of those divine faiths or Abrahamic faiths, if you may, they all speak about a hereafter. And that this is something that everyone um, believes in. It's not something that anyone doubts about when it comes to these Abrahamic faiths. Um, and, and as I said in the beginning, we might my video might come and go, so just bear with us while we figure that out. Okay, so that's one point that he made, and that he the other point he made was that look, when it comes to the Quran and the Book of Islam, it has addressed this matter the most out of all other faiths. It's uh, maybe you can say one third of the verses of the Holy Quran have to do with the hereafter, uh, as some scholars have uh, claimed. Yeah, so that's article number 103. And article number four, we, we talked about the different reasons for there being a need for a hereafter. Someone might say, okay, I believe in God, I believe in Islam, I believe in the Quran, I believe in everything. Is there any intellectual reasoning um, that if someone doesn't even believe in the Qur'an would still come to the conclusion that there has to be hereafter. There are some strong proofs for that we covered last week as well. In a nutshell, you can't believe in God, one. And two, see what's going on in the world here. And three, not conclusion, not believe in a hereafter where total justice will be served. It's just not possible. Okay, so that was Article 104. Article number 105 talked about some of the reasons why people might deny and reject the hereafter. And um, there were verses that were, you know, cited, that he cited to re reject, uh, re refute those, um, re uh, those denials of, of hereafter. So for example, some people, they, don't, they might think that it's, it Allah doesn't have enough power to do that, or God won't have the power to do that. He brought a verse that says, no, Allah has the power to it, to do it, because He's the one who created from the beginning, to begin with. So, of course, He can do it again if He wants. Other verses I don't want to get into, you know, talked about the different questions some people had, and the, as a result weren't believing in the Akhirah, the Qur'an addresses them. Alright, so, um, moving on to article number 106, he talked about how resurrection is going to be physical and spiritual, but he had a definition, his own definition of spiritual resurrection. What he meant by it, 
um, I discussed last week. And this term, I don't know if he's the one who's coined it or others have coined it, but this uh, resurrection, spiritual resurrection, meaning that you will also have spiritual pleasures in the hereafter, um, in addition to the physical pleasures that we're all accustomed to, that is something that um, I haven't really seen here and there used that much, this term. But he uses it here, that we have in addition to a physical resurrection, a material resurrection, in addition to all that we have, a um, spiritual one as well. Article 107 spoke about some of the verses that talk about Barzakh. So, we talked about the need for a hereafter. The journey to the hereafter goes through something called the Barzakh. What is the Barzakh? It's that, now some people use the word purgatory. That is a Christian term. Um, if you look up purgatory online, you'll find definitions for it. Um, but for us, we call it the Barzakh. And purgatory of the Christian faith is different than Barzakh a little bit. It's not like they're exactly the same. The purgatory... Um, yeah, you can look that up when you have time and see. It won't match completely the Barzakh concept, but it's very close maybe, you can say. So for us, it's Barzakh. This Barzakh, we discussed some of the verses that either directly or indirectly imply that there is a Barzakh in the Qur'an. And we reached article number 108. Alright, so if we're talking about Barzakh, article 108 talks about... Start, starts with some of the details. From Article 108 onwards, we're going to talk some, about some of the details of what happens in the Barzakh. Now, he keeps it very, very concise. I don't know how many articles he actually dedicates to this one. Um, let me see. Article 108. Yeah, just Article 108 really is talking about one of the details of the Barzakh. He doesn't even get into other details, but as probably most of you who um, know about Mizan Institute, we have been, or the, or the, the, the course that we offer on death and Barzakh has been doing the rounds since last year, and um, other cities out there in America, and North America, even in Canada, have gotten that course. There's a lot of details there that Allama Tabatabai and others have shared with us based on the Quran and Hadiths regarding this whole idea of death and Barzakh. Anyway, here he goes after Article 107, he goes into Article 108 where he discusses one of those things that happens in the Barzakh. Right at the beginning, brothers and sisters, there is this thing called the questioning of the grave, Su'adul Qabr, where we are asked, now who is exactly asked? All people who die, certain people who die, who is it? There's details there he doesn't get into, so I'm not going to get into. Um, we've discussed these in our course that we do here and there. Um, all he says is that people will be asked of some of the main beliefs that they're supposed to have as human beings on earth that God had created for this purpose of having the right beliefs. I'm going to read off of what he says. He says, what he's trying to prove here is that this questioning of the grave is something that is kind of set in stone. No one really questions it. Everyone knows that there will be questioning in the grave. Let me read from article 108. He says, The first stage of the soul's life in the Barzakh begins with the withdrawal of the spirit from the body. Meaning, In other words, brother and sister, he's trying to say that the Barzakh begins right when the soul departs the body. Someone has asked, um, one of our Imams, Imam Sadiq they asked him, What is this Barzakh? He said, From death till Yawmul Qiyamah. So death happens when the soul separates from the body, right? So that's what he's saying here in the book. 
The first stage of the barzakh begins with the withdrawal of the spirit from the body. At the time that man is buried, according to many hadiths, the angels question him on tawheed, prophethood, and a series of other principles pertaining to belief and religion. Obviously, the answers given by a believer will differ from those given by a disbeliever. And in consequence, the grave and the barzakh will be places wherein divine mercy manifests for the believer and divine wrath for the disbeliever. Okay, we have to understand, some people think that when you die, you go straight to heaven or hell. This concept of barzakh refutes that totally. No, 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 no. It's not that you go straight to heaven or hell. There's a, you're still on a journey. We think that you know everything is just this life, right? No. There is a whole journey we're going to be on, brothers and sisters. Even after we die, we're going to be on a journey in the barzakh as well. It begins with this questioning. And so once the questions are asked, based on the answers um, that are given, this person will be answering not off of his memory or her memory. They will be answering off of their actions in this life. The answers will comply with what they did in this life. You can't believe in God but do everything against what God's will is and then expect to answer the questions correctly on the day of judge, uh, on, on, in the barzakh when they question you. No, that's not how it works. Those who acted upon what they believed in, in this life, they're the ones who can get the answers right. So anyway, when, if you get the answers right, the hadiths tell us that this will be like Jannah for you, like a paradise for you. The grave will open up for you and... It'll be like one of the gardens of paradise versus those who don't get the answers correctly. Those ones, their grave will become a part of hellfire for them. You know, it's kind of a warm-up for them to get ready for the Day of Judgment. Warm-up, no pun intended. Okay. Um, well, actually, I intended that pun. But anyway, um, it says, The questioning by the angels and the dispensing of mercy and wrath, respectively, to the believers and disbelievers in the grave, pertain to basic beliefs of our religion. The grave const constitutes the commencement of barzakhi life, which will persist until the day of resurrection. Imami scholars, so here after explaining what questioning of the grave is and what it entails, he gets into uh, maybe three or four of the main scholars of the Shi'i school of thought who have expressed how this belief is a belief that is accepted by everybody. It says, Imami scholars have expounded these questions in books of theology. Shaykh al-Saduq, in his book of Tajrid al-I'tiqadat, says, Our belief as regards the questions in the grave is this, It is true, and whoever gives the correct answers to these questions will be granted divine mercy, and whoever gives the wrong answers will be subjected to divine punishment. Okay, so Shaykh al-Saduq believes that this is the case. Shaykh al-Mufid, which is the student of Shaykh al-Saduq, uh, says, in his book of Tasheeh al-I'tiqad, he says, strong hadith of the Holy Prophet tell us that the people of the graves will be questioned regarding their religion. And some hadiths indicate that two angels are charged with this task of interrogation. And they are called Nakir, Nakir and Nakir. He says further, the interrogation in the grave shows that those in the graves are alive, remaining thus until the day of judgment. Alright. Nasir al-Din al-Tusi writes, The punishment of the grave is real. It is an intelligible possibility 
and there are the most authentic hadiths confirming this reality. Yeah, he says it's an intelligible possibility. So he says, look, they're going to ask you questions in the grave, one. And two, this is something that is possible. It's not impossible. When he says it's intelligible possibility, that means intellectually speaking, it's not something that's impossible. So if it's not impossible, one. And two, Quran and hadiths have told us that it will happen, then there's no reason to deny it. That's the reason why he brings this up here in this little excerpt that we read of him. Alright, so these are some of the ulama he cites. And then he continues, Ayatullah Subhani, he says, reference to theological works of the other schools of Islam will reveal that there is a unanimity on this issue. Yeah, so everyone believes in it, and then he says there's just one scholar who doesn't believe in it, and from the Sunni school of thought. There might be others as well. It doesn't matter. Brothers and sisters, what matters is that, what's for sure is that, the, the vast majority of scholars of school of different schools of, of thought in Islam believe in the questioning of the grave. Okay, that's all he talks about really when it comes to the questioning of the grave. Then he moves on into something that's kind of contemporary. Well, not, no, excuse me, not contemporary, but these days you hear here and there people talking about and asking about. I wish he could have gone deeper into this topic that we're going to get into right now. But he hasn't, and he doesn't. And I was thinking what to do really, because I'm afraid that it might cause more questions for people. I guess I'll read off of the book and explain. But this requires a deeper, I think, uh, study and more details, right? Which he has not gotten into regarding the topic of reincarnation. Okay? As we've said time and time again, this book of Doctrines of, Shi Doctrines of Shi'i Islam is a book just to let the world know what we believe in and some argumentations and some explanations next to each of these articles, right? As you've seen so far, those of you who are following these sessions. Now, if that is the purpose of the book, then he's done exactly what he was supposed to do. Ayatollah Subhani lets everyone know in article 109, and 110, that people, we don't believe in reincarnation. Yeah, There are philosophical problems to it, and there are also textual problems. In other words, it goes against our scripture and uh, hadiths of the Prophet and Imams. Yes, all in all, there's, a, there's problems with it from every aspect, in, in, in every aspect and from every angle. So he gets that clear, he gets that across clearly, okay? But now he gets into some arguments to prove that reincarnation is not true and that we don't believe in it. That's where I feel like, you know, maybe it would have been better if, he, if we just left it for a more extensive book um, and just kept it at this, you know, and just said philosophical issues. There's some philosophical issues and some textual uh, contradictions here. Anyway, but we'll get into it. He says, from the observations above, it will have been made clear that the reality of the resurrection consists in this. The spirit, after having been separated from the body by the will of God, is once again returned to that body in which it had lived previously. This, in order to experience in another realm of existence, the reward or punishment elicited by his actions on earth. Okay, so that's what's happening. We're giving him a body again on the day of resurrection so he can be rewarded or punished according to his actions. 
Very clear, very simple. He says though, certain people, certain groups, certain faiths within different religions, certain groups within different religions and others outside the pale of all religion, deny the notion of resurrection, such as it is found in heavenly inspired religions. Meaning, you know, the Abrahamic faiths, that's what he means by heavenly inspired. Um, the Farsi of it is Asamani, Adiyana Asamani. And so Asaman means heavens, right? So the translation says heavenly inspired. What is meant is the Abrahamic faiths, those divine faiths that um, all belong to, uh, all have a book and all belonged to a prophet, although they might have been distorted to an extent. Okay, he says, they deny this notion of resurrection that is found in these Abrahamic faiths, but have accepted the principle of reward and punishment of actions through what? Through the idea of reincarnation. So that's what solves the problem for them. So still, man and mankind, they are, you know, they, there is this notion of you, ha you are going to be responsible, you are going to be held accountable for what you do and don't do. There is still that notion, but where, where is it materializing? It's actually materializing here in this idea of tanasukh, or reincarnation. They claim that the spirit attaches itself to a fetus, through the unfold. So from here on, as I read the book, brothers and sisters, these are the claims that he's making, whether they're accurate or not. He's speaking on behalf of other faiths right now. So whether he's accurate or not in his claims is on him. He says they claim that the life, the spirit returns to, oh, excuse me, they claim that the spirit attaches itself to a fetus through the unfolding of whose life the spirit returns to this earth, going through the stages of childhood, maturity, and old age, but for one who had been virtuous in his previous life, a sweet life results. While for those who were wicked in their previous lives, a wretched life lies in store. Alright. So this spirit attaches itself, brothers and sisters, to another fetus, another being, another thing, whatever. He just says fetus in his explanation. But we have to see, is that what it is in all, all of those faiths that might... Um, have adopted this idea of reincarnation, do they believe that it's just a fetus that the spirit attaches itself to again? Or can it be other things? I've heard some people say that they believe, or they know people who believe that when their husband or wife died, like there was an animal, there was a pet cat or dog there, and they knew that the soul had attached itself to that animal. So we'll have to see, is it always a fetus or is it something else? Or can it be something else? He goes on, he says, It must be understood that if all human souls traverse the path of reincarnation forever, there can be no place for the principle of resurrection. Right? So this is very, very important. If the Qur'an talks about resurrection, if our minds tell us and our intellects tell us that there is a need for resurrection, there's no way around it. If reincarnation is true, then for, at least for some souls, there will be no resurrection because they will keep going and coming back, going and coming back, going and coming back, and never being good people, yeah? Once again, as I said, I mean, this, we're keeping it very concise. They might, they're, they're, there must be answers that they give as well. Is that how they really see it or not? For some people, is it even possible to be reincarnated forever? 
Will people always be bad forever? Or no, will they eventually find the right way and right path, you know, and be virtuous after their hundredth life and hundredth reincarnation? These are questions they might have answers to and uh, might have given answers to. So anyway, the book says, it must be understood that if all human souls traverse the path of reincarnation forever, there can be no place for the principle of resurrection. While by both intellectual and traditionally transmitted evidence, belief in the resurrection is an obligation. It has to happen. Indeed, it must be said that those who believe in reincarnation do so because they are incapable of conceiving the resurrection in a proper manner and so have replaced it with the idea of reincarnation. He says, look, sometimes if you're not able to explain something properly, you're not able to understand and digest something properly, you replace it with something else that you can understand. His claim here, Ayatollah Subhani, is that some people have embraced this idea, have adopted in reincarnation as a belief, because the idea of resurrection, they just can't grasp it. Once again, that's a claim. We'll have to see if that's true or not. But um, to each their own idea and understanding here, but that's what he claims. And then he says, there are extensive discussions regarding the falsity of this belief and its incompatibility with Islam. We summarize some of these arguments below. I think he brings like three main points that we'll go through. I won't get into too much. Uh, as I said, we, we just want to keep it concise, but you know, this calls for more extensive study. Number one, he says, the soul of man attains at death a certain degree of completion. Actually, before I read it, let me explain it. It says, when you die, right, you have materialized and actualized certain potentials that you had within you, right? You have grown, and not physically, even spiritually, you've grown. There are some things that you have turned into, right? In the barzakh, when you leave this dunya, those things that you've turned into will actually show themselves. Some people on the day uh, in barzakh, what are they? They're not human beings anymore. They might be animals. Some people in the barzakh might be like angels, you know, or like actual human beings, you know. So these potentials of being super good or super bad have been actualized. That, okay, coming back to the material world again equals these potentials that were fulfilled turning into potential again. Yeah, he says this philosophically is not possible. And this is a philosophical principle that that which is bil-fi'l cannot turn back into that which is bil-quwwa. Alright? So it says, the soul of man attains at death a certain degree of completion, you know, or fulfillment of potential. Thus, to be attached once more to a fetus requires, according to the principle of necessary harmony between the soul and the body, it necessitates and requires what? A descent of the soul from a degree of completeness to a degree of potential again. Or here the translation says deficiency. I don't like that. Potentiality, let's call it. Or he goes on, he says, and a return from a state of actuality to one of potentiality. So philosophically that's impossible. Yeah, This is something that you can say philosophy is one of the 
It's one of the main principles of philosophy that that which has reached actuality cannot turn back to potentiality. But when the soul attaches to a fetus, this soul that was in the first body and had fulfilled certain potentials now has to go back to potential again. Once the soul is completed or has reached a certain level of completion or even a certain level of deficiency and has actualized certain negative potentials, let's call it, then going back to sheer potential and 0% completeness is impossible. So that's one. Number two, the second reason why he says we don't believe in um, a reincarnation. He says, if we accept the fact that a soul, after being separated from a body, finds itself joined to a different living body, this would imply a plurality of souls within a single body and a twofold personality. Whereas such a phenomenon is clearly at odds with the perception that each person's conscience yields, that of possessing a single personality. In short, he says, look, once again, this is, this is something that has to be discussed and studied further, but th he's just giving you the conclusion. He says, if your soul goes into another body, that will equal plurality of personalities. While we, in our own conscience, we understand that we're one person, and we're not two people. right? So reincarnation equals, this is what he's saying, whether you agree with it or not is a different story, once again, I, say, I keep saying it, this, is, this requires further discussion. But what he's saying is, soul returning to this life and attaching itself to, or going into another fetus, another body, equals, necessitates, plurality of personality. And plurality of, plurality of personality for sure is something false. Because we, within ourselves, yes, our, we understand that we're one. We're not two. If I'm sitting here, I'm one person. I'm not two people. All right. That's the argument, it seems. Whether you agree or disagree with it is a different story. Whether it makes sense or not is a different story. That can be discussed further later. Number three reason why he doesn't believe in reincarnation. He says, a belief in reincarnation, in addition to being contrary to the principle, principles of order in the universe, can also be used by oppressors and opportunists as a, mean of, as a means of legit, legit, legitimizing themselves by claiming that their power and privilege are the consequences of their previous lives of virtue and rectitude, and that the misfortunes of the oppressed are, likewise, the consequences of their previous lives of wickedness. By such means they attempt to justify their evil actions and the inhumane injustices of the society over which they rule. He says, look, if reincarnation was to be true, that's a, there's a problem there. And the problem is that this can be taken advantage of. Right? So it must not be true. I personally, I just, I can't, I can't, uh, this reason, it just doesn't sit well with me because um, there are a lot of other beliefs out there too that are taken advantage of as well. But they are beliefs that are set in stone when it comes to Islam. Okay? And so, for example, the idea of 
um, in the past there have been people who took advantage of the idea of and the notion of qada and qadar and Allah's decree, divine decree. We have this concept of qada and qadar. But the problem is that in the past there have been people, there have been rulers even who used this principle of Islam in their favor to justify that they had why they had become ruler. Even if through the wrong means they had gained power, what happens is that they would say to the people that, look, this is what God has decreed. If you go against us, if you're going to be all woke and stuff, and try to like overthrow us, and try to speak out against us, etc., you're actually going against the decree of God. Okay, so qada and qadar is a concept that can be taken advantage of, or can be misused and misrepresented. Does that mean that it doesn't exist? No. It exists, people, people take advantage of a lot of things. A lot of rulings of Islam, Christianity, everything, every faith out there right now. And that's why atheists, they make this claim that uh, the world would have been a better place without religion because lots of hardship, suffering is the result of their being belief in faith. Belief in religion and organized religion and God or else there wouldn't be so many problems. That's what some atheists say. Right? So even the whole concept of religion is taken advantage of, at least in the eyes of some. So this can't be a reason that that religion, just because it can be taken advantage of, that it's not true anymore. No. So here, if reincarnation can be taken advantage of by people, it shouldn't be, that shouldn't be a reason to say that reincarnation is wrong. No, we have to have other, or not wrong, but false and not true. We have to have stronger reasoning. The first two reasons he brought were good. They were solid, um, although they need more explanation. Especially the first one was really solid. The second one, uh, I don't know, that's something to think about. But this third one I feel um, just doesn't cut it. Very humbly I say that as well. I don't, I don't, uh, I'm nobody really, but yeah. Article 110. Brothers and sisters, before I get to that, when I get critical every now and then, if you've noticed, I'm not very critical, but like every now and then I might get a little critical of some of the arguments presented. This is something that they teach you um, in academia, um, not just in the Hawza, everywhere. Critical thinking is very important. If, of course, a person has you know what it takes to, to actually exercise that critical thinking. So this is what these ulama themselves want us to do, to be a little critical as well. Not to just blindly accept the reasoning just because Ayatollah so-and-so said so. I've said this a hundred times, maybe out of a hundred times, 90 time, 99 times I'll say, this is a good argument. One time I'll say, this argument, I just don't get it, you know. So that's where I'm coming from when I say that. Article number 110 continues the discussion of reincarnation, but looks at it from a different perspective now. Article 109 was looking at it from the perspective of, hey, there are people out there who believe in reincarnation. This is our reason to refute them. Three reasons he brought. Article 110 now says, okay, we don't believe in reincarnation people, but then there might be others who believe in it who come at us and point the finger at us and say, look at your religion, your scripture has certain things in it, your hadiths, your verses of Qur'an 
speak of certain things that imply reincarnation. So now we have to answer them as to what is meant by what these texts and scripture tells us and what it means is not reincarnation, okay? So, two things are mentioned. Two things are presented to us as Muslims and as Shia, because the first, the first one that they, they the first uh, challenge they bring forth has to do with us as Muslims, believing in the Quran, right? There's uh, some verses that talk about certain, something that might sound like reincarnation. I'll talk about it in a minute. But the second challenge they bring forth, the second challenge they bring forth is for us Shia. Not all Muslims believe in the second thing that we'll talk about. Okay, so the first one has to do with all Muslims, the second one has to do with Shias in particular. Let's talk about it a little bit. What is that first thing, what is that first challenge put forth to us as Muslims? It is the concept of maskh with a meme, an M, you know, the same letter that we have in M&Ms. M, maskh. Maskh, what does it mean? We have this in this idea and notion. In the Quran. Now, let me look this up real quick. I want to see. If the actual word has been used. I think once it has been used. Yeah. We have in Surah Yasin verse 67. The Quran says, and had we wished, we would have deformed them in their place. Then they would have neither been able to go ahead nor go back. So whatever the context of that verse is, is, is not relevant right now. But the word maskh has been used. What is maskh? Maskh is de deformation of an object, of a thing. What is it talking about in the Qur'an when it talks about deformation? It's talking about how God turned certain people into things other than human beings as a punishment for their actions. Let me read to you. Article 110. To conclude this discussion on reincarnation, it is necessary to answer two questions. So there's two challenges we have. The first is this. According to a clear Qur'anic description, past... Uh, nations were subject to transformation, here he calls it, transformation or deformation. Maskh. Some persons became pigs, others monkeys. Surah Ma'idah verse 60 says, وَجَعَلَ مِنْهُمُ الْقِرَدَةَ وَالْخَنَازِيرِ That God hath turned some of them to apes and swine. So the Qur'an has verses like these, not too many, talking about some people out back in the day who, as a punishment, Allah turned them to apes and swine. This person who brings this verse forward will say, will say, if reincarnation is false, how can such transformations occur? That's the question. The answer he gives is a good answer. He says, look, just because there's a transformation doesn't mean that that transformation equals reincarnation. Where'd you get that from? This statement is false. 
this proposition we disagree with that any time any trans any uh, transformation takes place, that means that reincarnation has occurred. What was reincarnation? Reincarnation was the separation of a soul from a body after reaching certain levels of actuality versus potentiality. And then that soul going back to a body with zero actuality and 100% potentiality again. That's what reincarnation was. The soul going from one body to another body. Who says when this mask takes place that um, the soul is going from one body to another body? No. Transformation means that same body changed from one form to another form. Nothing else. He says the answer is as follows. Transformation differs fundamentally from reincarnation as commonly understood. Yeah, reincarnation, the way it's con commonly understood is not the same as transformation. For according to reincarnation, the spirit is joined after separation from one body with another body or to a fetus. While in transformation, the spirit does not become a separ does not become separate from its body. Rather, it is simply that the appearance and form of the body is transformed, so that the person is able to see his sins in the form of monkeys and pigs, and suffer thereby. In other words, the soul of a person who was a sinner does not descend from the state of humanity to that of animality. For were such the case, the persons trans so transformed would not be able to grasp their suffering and punishment as such. Wow, look at that. That's, this is wonderful. So if, uh, if we said something against uh, one of his arguments in the previous article, right here what he says is beautiful. He says, look, if this human being with this development of the mind is to, turn, is to be reincarnated as an ape or a monkey, as a punishment from God, this defeats the whole purpose. Why? Because if you're reincarnated as a monkey, as an ape or whatever, a pig, and from day one you're seeing yourself as a pig or a monkey and you're not a human being anymore, in other words, you went from that actuality of being a human being, you went back to potentiality of 100% and no actuality of being a human being again, that means you don't even have the right, disp uh, the right uh, faculties to understand that you're a human being but in the form of an ape, so to suffer as a result. Yeah, The whole point was that this was a punishment from God, right? This transformation is a punishment. This person knows he's a human being, yet he's in the body of a pig. So reincarnation hasn't taken place because reincarnation, what made reincarnation reincarnation was the fact that you went from actuality to potentiality again. I don't think anyone out there who believes in reincarnation, right, when they are, when, that they say that when you were reincarnated, I was a king, but I was an evil king, so I was reincarnated as a poor beggar on the street. I don't think this person, when they are a beggar, remembers that they used to be a king, right? That's not how it is. Same thing here. When these people are turned into monkeys and apes, they, if they were to not remember that they are actual human beings, there would be no suffering and punishment anymore for them. And that defeats the whole purpose of Mesh. So, so, 
to summarize everything I said, if mask is punishment, the way it is a punishment is that this person is a human being inside, but on the outside is a pig and suffers from this as a result. The fact that this person understands that they're a human being shows that they haven't gone from actuality to potentiality again. Yes, and thus the main pillar of reincarnation is not there, so it's not, this is not considered reincarnation. The pillar of reincarnation was that something that has actualized certain potentials goes back to 100% potentiality again. We don't have that in the concept of Nasr, right? Okay. Aytullah uh, Subhani, thank you for that point. That was a nice point. I really liked it. He now cites two individuals um, of the ulama who also explain how it's not reincarnation. He says, in this regard, Taftazani says, the true import of reincarnation is that the souls of human beings become attached after their separation from their respective bodies to other bodies for the sake of governing over and possessing them in this very world. It does not mean that the appearance of the body changes as in as is the case in Nasr and transformation. Okay, that's just repeating what we said before. Alama Tawatabai also says, so now he's citing him. Alama Tawatabai also says, people who have been transformed or have gone through Masq as a punishment, or those who, while retaining their human spirit, so that actuality is there. Retaining their human spirit are transformed as regards their form only. Transformation does not mean that the human soul is transformed also, becoming the soul of a monkey, or else there's no punishment there, right? So, so beautiful how he, he words it here. That transformation doesn't mean that the human soul also transforms into the soul of a monkey, so that as a result it can't even understand that, oh, I was a human being. Oh my God, look at me now, I'm a monkey, this is so sad, you know? A monkey is jolly. Monkeys are monkeys. Hippos are hippos, elephants are elephants. They don't understand. They don't wish to be anything else, it doesn't seem. They don't have that intellectual capacity to wish for things the way human beings do. Or to suffer when they know they are something, but on the outside they're not. Anyway, that's the first challenge that is put towards all Muslims, because this is Qur'an we were talking about. But now we also have another problem as Shia. And that is the concept of Raj'ah. Now, I don't know, um, I don't remember, did we cover this before or not in the Mahdawiyya part of this book that we just finished like a couple of weeks ago? Um, this whole idea of Raj'ah. What is this idea of Raj'ah? What is it? In Shi'ism, we have hadiths. This is not in the Quran, although you'll have some verses that might imply, or it might be claimed that imply Raj'ah. But um, what Raj'ah really is based on is hadiths, we have to accept. That on, in, after the 12th Imam returns, and after the 12th Imam passes away, even before he passes away, we have people who will be brought back to life again, who will serve him. After Imam Mahdi passes away, some of the Imams will, will be brought back to life even. Yeah? Mm -hmm. We have this idea in our sources. Now, 
why that's the case, what does that entail, what does that mean, what are some of the details, all of that is something to discuss in depth again. Books have been written on raj'ah separately. Once again, we're doing stuff concisely here. Okay. Now, the person who wants to challenge this idea of reincarnation is not an Islamic, it's not acceptable, it's not possible, will say, hey, you have something similar to reincarnation, um, and that is something that you call raj'ah. People are gonna, who are dead are going to be coming back to life. Yes? Coming back to life equals coming back to life from death is reincarnation. So what do you have to say to that? That's the question. So here I'll read. It says, the second question is, some writers have presumed that the idea of the return, raj'ah, has been derived from that of reincarnation. Does belief in the return and raj'ah require belief in reincarnation? His answer is this, that look, no, that raj'ah has nothing to do with reincarnation. Once again, because reincarnation has its own definition and explanation that does not fit uh, raj'ah. He says, the doctrine of the raj'ah, according to most of the Shia scholars, consists of this, that a number of believers and disbelievers will return to this world in the last days. And their manner of returning is akin to the way in which the dead were brought back to life by Jesus. When Prophet Jesus السلام, brought dead people back to life, yes, was it the same person or now was it a different soul, a different body or whatever? Like, No, 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 it was the same soul, same body. And by the way, I have to say this, and I forgot to say it in the maskh part we were talking about as well. And it applies to the dead that Prophet Jesus brought back to life as well. Those people who turn to monkeys and swine that the Qur'an talks about. And also those who were brought back to life uh, by Prophet Isa They say these types of people usually they didn't live long. It's not like Prophet Isa would bring someone back to life and that person would live amongst the people for another 30 years or something. No, no, no. They would come back to life for a short period just so the people can see this miracle and then that person would die again. Those people who turn into monkeys and swine, from what I remember reading, they also, when this would happen, it was a punishment for them. And it wasn't that they lived forever or lived a long time. I remember reading in, all, in our tafasir that these people would die shortly after. It wasn't like, the guy lives as a pig for 30 years or something. There are some people I think who believe that um, like maybe all the, or some of the pigs out there today or monkeys are descendants of those people who were transformed into things like that, but I highly doubt that's the case. Anyway, let's not go off track. To coming back to Raj'ah, he says, look, this is what it consists of in the eyes of most Shia scholars. It's just like how the dead were revived and brought back to life by Prophet Isa Or like the reviving of Uzair after 100 years. We have in the Qur'an um, the story of Uzair. Yeah. Uzair was a person who was passing by uh, the ruins of a city, if I remember correctly. And um, he asked himself, he's like, or he's like kind of the question came to his mind like, 
how is God going to revive all of this for the Day of Judgment? That question comes in his mind, that's enough for God to take him for a hundred years. Let me pull him up real quick. This is Surah Baqarah verse 259. Yeah. Let me read the English to you real quick. It says, the one who, or, or, or him, so this is in a context right now, or him who came upon a township as it lay fallen on its trellises. He said, how will Allah revive this after its death? So Allah made him die for a hundred years. You see, it doesn't say he put him to sleep. It's not like Ashab al-Kahf, the people of the cave, no. It says Allah made him die. Those people went to sleep for, for 309 years. Here, it says Allah made him die for a hundred years, then he resurrected him. He said, how long have you remained? Like, how long were you here? Said he, I have remained a day or part of a day. He thought he fell asleep for a day or half a day. <laughs> he said, Allah says to him, Rather you have remained a hundred years. Now look at your food and drink which have not rotted. Look at your donkey that you were riding. This was done that we may sh make you a sign for mankind. And look at the bones, how we arrange them. And then clothe them with flesh, the bones of the donkey apparently. When it became evident to him that, look, this is how resurrection is, he said, I know that Allah has power over all things. Okay, so this is Uzair. The book says, just like how Uzair came back to life. Question, when Uzair is brought back to life, and he might be a prophet of God even, because God is resurrecting, to, is, re is revealing to him things, and speaking to him. If this is how he's brought back to life, can we say that reincarnation took place for him? No, it's the same guy. Same soul, same body. Raj'a, same thing. The same souls, same bodies are coming back. That's what it says. Thus, believing the Raj'a has nothing to do with reincarnation. In our discussion below, further clarification of the meaning of the Raj'a will be given. Okay, so he says, that's why I wasn't sure if we've covered it before, or we're going to cover it later. Raj'a is to come. We haven't discussed it yet. Inshallah, um, when we get to the resurrection section, I guess. So right now, we're talking about certain details. Next article, which I won't get into, I'm going to end it right now. Article 111, next week, or not next week, uh, by the way, before I forget, we don't have uh, our session next week. Um, there's some things happening that I have to take care of, so uh, there's no session next week. Um, so look out for the new flyer, either for um, next month, which is December, or you'll, you'll know if we have... Um, let me pull this up real quick actually right now just to make sure next week is next week is the 26th we won't have uh, Mizan live yeah so you'll have to look out for the December flyer that's all I want to say to see when our next sessions are going to be um, yeah I think the first uh, Tuesday of December we will have um, a session so that's that okay but whenever we have our next session Article 111 is going to get to Ashratu Sa'a, those last things that happen before the Day of Judgment, on the Day of Judgment. It's a very uh, concise discussion he has, not too, not too much detail, but he moves on into that. And then as we go down more, he says we'll get to the point where we talk about Raj'a and people coming back to life before the Day of Judgment, apparently. Inshallah, we'll get to that as well. Until then, Inshallah, keep me in your du'as, especially this week, I need your du'as, stuff is happening. And so that uh, everything goes smoothly. And uh, till our next session, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.